we'll resume our study of um, chapter 2, verse 5. We'll uh, try to cover verse 5 in its entirety. But I, I hinted last week that it's, it's quite a text, and uh, um, let me read it. Um, I'll tell you what, let me, let me begin reading at verse 4, and then um, read verses 4 and 5. Here we go. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. We'll uh, look just at verse 5 tonight. Tonight you get a, a bit of, um, I, I guess you would call it psychology, human psychology, a la the Bible. Uh, I'm not sure that's exactly descriptive, but uh, it will give you a, a greater understanding, at least I hope it will, an understanding of, um, of the culture in which we find ourselves. So stay with me. Paul uh, tells us that the audience to which he writes are people who are guilty of despising the riches of God's goodness. Now Paul tells us why. He tells us why men despise the goodness of God. Why, why is it or why doesn't the goodness of God lead them to repentance? Well, Paul points out why. And it is in line with, in accord with, because of your hardness and your impenitent heart. That's the reason. That's the reason that the goodness of God is, uh, produces so very little, if anything, uh, in the life of his, uh, his audience because of the hardness and impenitent heart that is possessed by them. Of course, ladies and gentlemen, I think you realize that when Paul describes the heart, uh, he is describing the very center of the personality. Uh, uh, a, an interesting study for you one day might be to find out uh, how the heart is used in the New Testament. For instance, we are admonished to forgive from the heart. Um, it, is, it is the very center of our being it is not simply emotions and affections like you might find described on Valentine's Day. Uh, it includes that, but it is far more. It is the center and throne of the personality. It is the thing that makes me, me, and you, you. And so, and the Bible is constantly using the term heart. Let me just show you one that's pretty easily... Um, it's in chapter 1 of verse, and verse 21 of Romans, because also, although they knew, uh, they knew God... They did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their hearts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Uh, the, Jeremiah talks about the heart being deceitful above all else. Who can understand it? I, I don't think that comes as any surprise to you, that when Paul talks about the hardness and impenitent heart, he is talking about the very center, the very core of, of their being. That's the reason that... Um, that the goodness of God has so little impact 
uh, on Paul's audience. Now, again, that immediately sets us on a collision course with our culture because modern man tells us that man is essentially good and that his problem is societal. Um, man is essentially a good creature, but he had poor potty training, and because he did, uh, he didn't get enough affection and love from his parents, and because he didn't, um, the, the problem is educational, although we live in the most educated culture in the, in the history of mankind, uh, his problem is basically cultural slash societal. And I want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, that, you're, that the Bible says the very opposite of that. The issue is not the society. The issue is not even our parents and the way they brought us up. The problem is the heart. Now, gang, um, just... You, you might want to take a look at this. This is in Mark chapter 7. You know this text, but I'm, I'm simply trying to uh, underscore the point that I think Paul is making. But Jesus in Mark chapter 7, um, oh, beginning, where am I? Yes, um, in verse 18, Mark chapter 7, verse 18. So he said to them, are you thus without our understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. And he said, here's the point. What comes out of a man, that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, and all these evil things come from within and defile a man. The point of origin, ladies and gentlemen, is not the culture. It's not from the outside. And, and don't misunderstand me. The culture certainly doesn't help. This one militates against us, ladies and gentlemen, as you well know. But the problem, the problem is the heart of man. And now I hope you can see how utterly essential it is for the Holy Spirit to work on man before he is ever going to be converted to the gospel, before he is ever going to, to um, respond favorably to the gospel. It's going to require a prior work of God's Spirit. You know, gang, I get, I get pretty ugly at this point. Uh, maybe there's numerous other points, too, but this is certainly one of them. Um, when, I hear, when, I, when I hear the solutions that are proffered for us by, for instance, the local school board, we've got gun shootings in our schools, so what we're going to do is set up metal detectors. And ladies and gentlemen, I, I think metal detectors will, they'll, they'll detect metal every time. But they are not going to address the problem because the problem isn't the, it isn't cultural. It is at the base of one's being. Now, I'm, I agree the culture doesn't help. The culture is encouraged. The culture is turned on us. 
But the problem, issues from the heart, not from even our failures as parents. And I, I agree that parents are important, and we're going to see how important they are in the upcoming weeks. But, gang, the problem is the heart. Let, let me show you, um, well, let, let me mention one other thing before we move on. Notice he, ter- he, he describes first that the heart is hard. The, the, the Greek word that is translated hard there is the same Greek word from which we get an English word, callous. You know what calluses are? Well, that's what's happened. Uh, that's, that's the condition of the heart of the unregenerate man. The very thing that was meant to melt the hearts of men, that is the goodness of God, has hardened them. And, um, and, and the Bible says that throughout. Beware of the, uh, the deceitfulness of sin which hardens the heart. Gang, that's the result of, um, of choosing sin over submission to Christ. And I want you to know every time we sin, the harder the heart grows. Um, so what does God provide? You, I, I'd like for you to see this. If you can find the book of Ezekiel real real quick. It's after Jer- Jeremiah. If you can find Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. I want you to see two passages in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 11, we're going to stop there first. And then we're going to move over real quick to um, Ezekiel 36. Notice, uh, I'm in Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 19. Then I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within them, and take the stony heart out of their flesh, and give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes, and keep my judgments, and do them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Do you see, gang, and, and by the way, I want you to notice in verse 19, who is the actor here? Who is the, the primary causative agent? It is God saying that the first thing that's going to have to take place is that they're going to have to get a softer heart. I'm going to have to remove the one of stone and replace it with one of flesh. I'm going to have to give them something soft because the thing that they've got is so blasted hard. Um, and then one other place that he says the same thing. In fact, gang, you, you know the um, Ezekiel 36. Um, you know the, um, the the New Testament talks about something that we all that President Carter used to talk about being a born again Christian. Well, gang, there's uh, that's a that's a redundancy. Um, if you're not born again, you're not a Christian. If you're a Christian, you're, you've got to be born again. I mean, I, I hope you know that. But the New Testament mentions that, of course, in in John 3. But the Old Testament also mentions it. This is the passage. If you wanted to find something about the rebirth, you'd look to Ezekiel 36. Let me begin reading at Ezekiel 36, verse 25. Um, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments to them. Uh, then you will dwell in the land, etc., etc. But, but gang, the audience that Paul is addressing 
are people who have not had this spiritual piece of surgery performed on them. They still have at the base of their being, at the center of their being, a stone. And so before there will ever be any proper and, and gentle response to the gospel, there has to be an exchange that takes place. A stony heart has to be replaced with a fleshly one. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the issue that we're facing in this culture. I'm going to return to this as we close. But there's, a, there's an interesting story. You might want to look at it. You might not. But in 2 Kings chapter 22, um, I, it's just a... You don't turn. I'm just going to tell the story. It's a story about a, 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 a man who takes over the throne of Israel. His name is Josiah, and when he does, he's eight years old when he starts. And so Josiah, because he had been trained well, decides that he's going to refurbish the temple. And so he says, let's collect a lot of money and refurbish the temple because it's really fallen into hard times. We need to fix the place up some. So they gather all this money and they start fixing the place up. And in the midst of, their, uh, of them um, uh, fixing it all up and you know doing some demolition around, Hilkiah, the priest, finds the Bible. <laughs> Now, how do you lose it in the first place? But they find it. It's been stored in years and years of the storage room or closet or something. And as they're trying to fix the place up, they, they discover a scroll that contains the Word of God. And so um, Hilkiah says, oh my, you need to take this to the king. And so he gives it to Shappen. Shappen, who is, I guess, the, uh, the resident holy guy in, in the, in the, around the king brings the thing over to the king and reads it to, the, to this king who is now more than eight years old, but I don't know exactly how old. And so Josiah hears um, the, the word of God read to him. And we're told that um, uh, now it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law that he tore his clothes and the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and, uh, and all those guys Go inquire of the Lord for me, for the people of all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that has been aroused against us. And then the, the, the charm of this story, the reason I brought you here, is that the Lord sends back and says, Say to the king this, Thus says the Lord of God of Israel, concerning the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place because your heart was tender <laughs> how do you get that ladies and gentlemen how does it how does it go from a hard brick to where when a, when a man heard this word, his heart received it with humility. And he responded with a tender heart. Well, I'll say this, ladies and gentlemen. First, it starts with God exchanging a heart of stone for a heart of flesh. But I say to you, my brother and sister, every time we choose to defy the Lord God, it gets harder. Um, sin... By the way, in case you don't know where that is, that's in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 16, I think, about the hardness, what sin does. It's in Hebrews, bear with me, 
Um, yes, 12. Uh, no, it's 13. Uh, beware, brethren, lest there be any of you, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. That's uh, Hebrews 3.13. But that's what sin does to us, gang. It renders the heart insensitive and dull. Um, beware. Well, Paul goes also on to say that uh, this heart that is so hard is also impenitent. Uh, a heart so hard that it that it cannot repent. And the only thing that, uh, the only hope that it has is to be exchanged for a fleshly one. Can, can, can you see why the non-Christian world hates what we stand for so? They are, they are dying to find some scientist who can disprove that a God exists. Because this is a description of their heart. They hate this idea. And, and I, I can understand why they would. Um, but why, why is it that the goodness of God doesn't lead into repentance like it's supposed to? Because of a hard, impenitent heart. Now notice, that leads to something, says Paul in this text. Um, but in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up, treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath. <laughs> in my, in my uh, margin, it has storing, and I think most of your uh, translations do too, that in accordance with your hardness and in your impenitent heart, you are storing up for yourself. Storing up wrath. This man whose heart is so hard doesn't realize that the end result of what he is doing is that he is storing up wrath for himself. By refusing God's goodness, he stores up God's wrath. Do you think that the non-Christian world realizes that? I don't think so. But um, he sure is eager to find some way to eliminate this God from any kind of conscious thought. He may not know this, but gang, um, that's why I think he has such an, an, an offense with the evangelical gospel, because it, it describes him like this. The last thing that he wants to think about is the day that you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath. Um, he uh, has no idea what a finally awaits him. Gang, the scriptures teach a, uh, and I'm going to show you that real quickly and then we're going to wrap up here. The scriptures teach a day, a day, 
Uh, let, let me show you a, a couple of places. One, well, well, I'll show you two. Acts chapter 17. This day that Paul is alluding to in Romans 2.5 is mentioned elsewhere through the New Testament. Here's one place. I'm in Acts 17, verses 30 and 31. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Here it is. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. Because he has appointed a day. That's the day that Paul has in mind um, in Romans 2. Let me show you one other place. It's in um, 1 Corinthians 3. I'm not sure you want to thumb through all this, but uh, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 13. Each one's work will become clear for the day. We'll declare it. Gang, um, there are a lot of words that the non-Christian world doesn't like. I'll tell you one they hate. They hate the, they hate the term submission. Oh, boy. That usually gets me in trouble in most of my wedding services because, in fact, there is a church in town that will not let me come back and do a wedding service in the church because I use the word submission in uh, my wedding ceremonies. And um, one of the women in this church overheard a conversation that took place in the office there. Don't let that guy back in here. They don't like that word. And, and I, um, I, I can understand. I think the word's been misunderstood and misused. But anyway, that's one word they hate. But I want to suggest there's a word that they hate more than that one. It's this one. Accountability. The idea of a day that will make me accountable. I bet you they hate that one worse. This whole idea that a day has been set aside, has been appointed. And would you like to read about that day? Um, I, I'll show it to you. Um, very frankly, ladies and gentlemen, if I didn't read, if I didn't believe so heartily in this book, I wouldn't believe all this. But I believe it because it's in this book. Uh, Revelation chapter 20. Let's let's read a little about it. Revelation chapter 20, beginning in verse 11. I'll read you four verses. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them, and I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Gang, another place in the book of Revelation, do you know what men's response to that day is? Do you know what they cry out? They cry out that the rocks would cover them. They cry out to be hidden. Let the rocks bury them, but don't let me face that day. All of that, ladies and gentlemen, because they stored up, stored up wrath for the day of wrath. The audience that Paul is addressing 
are some it is a Jewish audience who has misappropriated the goodness of God it was supposed to lead them to repentance but it didn't and it didn't um, because of the hardness of their heart which leads to storing up of wrath um, which on an appointed day um, will be will be dealt with. That's that's the lesson of Romans chapter two verse five. Now I want to close with what I hope will be three applications for us, uh, for the people of God. That is a description I hope of no one in this room. Um, I, you'll have to determine that. But ladies and gentlemen, the goodness of God is to lead us to repentance. If it doesn't, it doesn't because our hearts are hard, they are impenitent, and the result of that is that we're treasuring up wrath for the day of wrath. Um, and on that day, that wrath will then be um, meted out. But for the people of God, um, what can I, what can we, how can we respond? Well, first of all, this. I have people approach me on, on a regular basis describing um, a burden that they have for a relative or a, 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 a co-worker, and uh, they're, they're concerned about their spiritual standing, and they ask me, what should I do? Now, ladies and gentlemen, in response to this text, having heard, I, I hope it faithfully dealt with, what should you do? There's really only one thing that you must do, and that is plead. You must plead with God that he would exchange that heart of stone for a heart of flesh. Um, you, you know, you've heard people pray that God would send revival. Well, guys, that's what they're saying. That's what they're, that, that's what they're desiring. Oh, God, if you do not somehow intervene if you do not somehow pave the way, exchange a heart, soften the heart, they will never listen to me. No matter how consistent I am, no matter how loving I am, but oh God, you must. Now, and in that regard, I say this, secondly, how burdened you are will be demonstrated by how you pray. Um, well, I prayed for a week, Jimmy, and nothing changed, so I gave up. Well, I say to you, that ain't much of a burden for lost men and women. Um, and if, if that's all you put into this, then I say to you, you had not got much of a burden. Because, guys, unless God intervenes in, um, in what A.W. Tozer calls prevenient grace, that God's grace is always previous. If God doesn't intervene, 
our Christian testimony and witness won't, won't penetrate a hard and impenitent heart. Um, <clears throat> if I could pause just to say something real quick. Um, one of the things that you've heard me say of late, and, I, and I'm telling you, um, <laughs> I got pushed over the edge, ladies and gentlemen, and it's not my fault. I, I, um, I'm a victim. Um, <clears throat> how many of you in here have seen the firing line um, expose about a, um, it, it was repeated, or the snippets were repeated, on Oprah about the uh, syphilis outbreak in Conyers, Georgia? You've seen it just, just recently. Did it not absolutely terrify you? Gang, um, we've got it. Lisa's on the way, and we're going to show it to you. The, the, the scariest part about it is, number one, that was where a school shooting took place. And the economic and demographics of that community is very similar to this one. Do you know what your junior high children are doing? You don't want to know, but we're going to have to know. And we're going to call you together on May the 5th, a Friday and Saturday, to try and give parents some skills to minister to the family. It will horrify you. Just very frankly, I, I don't know that I even want to say some of these things, because I, but they're going to be on the tape, and I'll let this guy take the heat. Um, but they're going down to the county um, uh, medical clinic to get their syphilis shot, junior hires, and, is, and they've got film of them coming into the, 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 the uh, medical clinic, and the kids are high-fiving because they're syphilis. Their syphilis is a badge of honor among them. They're watching the Playboy channel from 3 to 6 just before mommy and daddy get home and then trying to perform what they saw. I, I, I tell you that not to shock you, ladies and gentlemen. It's, it's by way of announcement, kind of. But I'm telling you, do you understand that Jesus Christ is the hope of this world? And if he doesn't intervene, nothing will save us. Nothing. Because of the hardness and impenitence of the heart of man. Gang, I can tell you how burdened you are by the size of your prayer. Because my preaching's not going to do it. And very frankly, this church can't help you. <laughs> we aren't smart enough. We aren't smart enough nor spiritual enough to turn this thing around. But because this is the problem, this is the problem, ladies and gentlemen. Romans chapter 2, verse 5. This is a description of the problem. And so, what we must do in response, I think, is plead, beg, beg God, and give Him no rest until he exchanges the heart of stone for a heart of flesh.
If he does not do that, all of the training in our evangelism is not going to help us. It'll help us growing individually, but in terms of reaching them, he must intervene, and he must intervene in this culture. By the way, at this point, the president of Houston, High, the principal of Houston High School, is going to be with us on May the fifth. And if you don't believe me, and you don't believe Firing Line, maybe you'll believe him. And the principal of ECS, and the principal of Briarcrest are going to tell you what we're facing. And I'm telling you, gang, it pushed me over the edge. Um, what you really need is somebody a whole lot smarter than me. But we'll get them next year. You're stuck with me this time, but the need is too urgent. We have got to do something. We have got to equip the family to minister to itself. We've got to. We've got to. I'm telling you, there's no... And what little bit of help we can be, it might help some, but I'm telling you, it will tear you up what you're going to see. I'm telling you, I, I have not seen it. I have read the dialogues off of the internet. Uh, Brent downloaded some of them. What these parents are saying, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. It's, it, is, it's, it is beyond awful. And their community is just like ours. By the way, i got to hurry. One of our parents who saw this went to his child. I'm not going to tell you the sex. I don't, but it is, this, this child is a model child. Um, I don't know how old the child is. Uh, I, I want to say that this child is junior high. One of our parents went to the child and said something about this. And this child looked at her daddy and said, Daddy, this is happening. That's happening here. Um, interestingly enough, and I'll shut up. I'll make my last application. I'll quit. Um, when I talked to John Atkins across the street, the principal at Houston High School, after the Columbine shooting of last year, one of the first schools interviewed was Houston High School. You know why? Because it was of similar size and similar, similar demographics. I, I, I hope it shocks us. I hope it shocks us into prayer. <laughs> By the way, be with us Sunday night as Jeff presents this partners in prayer. One other thing, one other, one other application, I'm finished. Um, uh, I, I think we've all had this uh, similar experience where our souls have passed through a season of dryness. Ever happened to you? It, well, if I'm the only freak here, it certainly has happened to me where, where you feel like your soul is dry and shriveled. Well, I can say that according to, um, to Hebrews 3.13, one of the questions I think that we ought to ask is this. Has sin hardened us? Is there something going on in our lives that has rendered our hearts dull and hardened them towards the things of God? Because, ladies and gentlemen, sin hardens invariably. So that dry season, my point is, may just be a response of our choosing to disobey.
if you're in a meeting or in the choir, uh, you need to sneak on out now. pray together. Our Father, I do pray that you would stimulate the hearts of all of us. We, um, we see that the problem is not even the church's failure, although she has failed miserably. The, um, the problem is not that we're inconsistent, and we are inconsistent. The problem is that there is a heart that is so hard and so impenitent on the heart of, in the, in the at the base of the unbelieving soul, that you must, O oh God, you must soften it. You must exchange it for a heart of flesh. And then, O oh God, we will do our best to be prepared, to be trained, to be consistent, to be eager, to be zealous, to be warm, to be loving, to be kind, to be Christ-like, because we want, O oh God, more than just about anything to be used to redeem this culture. But Father, there is—it's—it's um, it's far gone. But to give up on it is fatalism. To pray requires faith. And so we plead with you, Heavenly Father, precede us, go before us, O God, and open doors so that we might have the privilege of bearing testimony to the glories of Jesus Christ, who is the hope of the world. He is the hope of this community. He is the hope of our high schools. He is the hope of our junior highs. He is the hope of our families, our homes, our marriages. And we call out to make him more central in all that we do. Thank you for the people of God and their great interest in holy things. And that that day that has been appointed is a day for which we are prepared by Christ. And we clutch, we, we cling to him even more than we did before because he has prepared us to stand before you. In the name of Christ Jesus the Lord, we pray. Amen. Thank you and good night.